Good afternoon, Patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today, I'll talk about the vaccine replacing race as the chief divider of the people. And I'll talk about if the timing is right for the GOP to move on from Donald Trump as the standard bearer of the party. Next, on Living with Liberty. COVID vaccination status has become the corruptocrats and the media mediocres next tool in dividing the people. The social justice and racism narrative has cooled just a bit, and this one is sliding into its place as the divider of the people. I should say the number one divider of the people. And it's only likely keeping the seat warm until the next police shooting that has the correct variables to spark fake outrage happens again. Any sane person should be thinking about the CDC's latest guidance and say, WTF are you talking about, CDC? Unvaccinated people still need to wear masks indoors, but vaccinated people don't? Why is that? Doesn't the vaccine work? Whatever happened to people deciding for themselves their risk tolerance and how they wish to live their lives? We already know that the masks are useless, so that leaves the logical person to question the actual efficacy of the vaccine itself because the CDC's guidance says unvaccinated people must wear the mask and they're pushing, they've been pushing the masks forever as a way to stop the spread. Now, by all accounts, all the data I've seen, stories I've read, vaccination rates have plateaued, which tells me that everyone who really wanted to get vaccinated has gotten one and is now supposedly protected. But the guidance is to keep putting that face diaper on if you haven't completed the magic jab sequence. There has been no proof offered as to why this is the guidance. If any journalist would actually do their job and ask the CDC why unvaccinated people should still wear a mask when out and about amongst, by all accounts, you know, most uh, a lot of people that have completed that second dose of the vaccine, I'd love for a journalist to ask why the CDC came out with that guidance. I'd also like them to ask, well, you know, why then in is the guidance to still wear it in an airplane, whether people are vaccinated or not? What what kind of idiotic guidance is that? I bet if the a journalist were to ask that, you know, those questions, the, the CDC would really not be able to give any reasonable medical explanation as to why the unvaccinated need to remain masked or vaccinated or unvaccinated need to be masked in places like airplanes just like there's been no reasonable medical reason or explanation as to why the mass mandates were put in place to begin with. This boils down to a couple of things in my view. Control 
and the continued refusal by the corruptocrats to admit that they have been wrong about just about everything in regards to this pandemic. Let's continue that mass charade, even though by the data that sits on the CDC's own website, we still saw a seasonal run-up in uh, coronavirus cases, which occurred when there was widespread and, in some cases, heavy-handed masking mandates. This data all but provides the empirical evidence confirming the Danish mask study that says masks did not and do not and will not prevent the spread of any virus. CDC and our corruptocrats in government are saying, let's use this mask charade as a way to shame the holdouts on the vaccine into taking the vaccine by providing a reward of getting to remove your mask when you get vaccinated. It's a mechanism to try and control the people. And the CDC, and probably more by proxy, uh, those in government, your fraud cheese, and and those, uh, you know, the Democrats, are counting on the virtue signaling medium to continue the drumbeat of shaming those who choose to wait and see What this experimental vaccine will actually do to people? What are the long-term ramifications of it? What are the the side effects that are beyond the initial jabs? It just goes to show, though, how out of touch with reality these people making the decisions really are. If these bureaucrats think that dangling a reward of dropping the mask for those who get vaccinated is going to motivate people who already weren't wearing masks, then I have a pet unicorn I'd be interested in selling to them. The people who weren't wearing masks still aren't, still won't, and they are likely to be the same people who had no intention of getting the vaccine to begin with. They weren't going to buy in, nor are they going to buy into this groupthink of just take the, take the vaccine and you can take your mask off. They actually think and evaluate and weigh the risks and weigh things like the side effects for themselves and how much they want to deal with that risk and, and impact to their life. The CDC, Mr. Fraudchi, the media and elected officials have all done a piss-poor job in selling people on why they should take the COVID vaccine to begin with. The repeated browbeating people uh, to take it, the constant virtue signaling of those who have taken it, the initial direction that even if you have taken it and completed the sequence, you still need to stay masked, the lack of transparency on the side effects, the lack of data on the real benefits, and the direction that even if you have had COVID, you still need to take the vaccine anyway, all cast doubt on the efficacy of this vaccine. How how many of you out there are going to do something if you are continually being browbeaten to do it? If it's 
where it's a, if it's one of those situations where it's a, a pers- person in authority, say it's at your job and your manager's browbeating you in constantly to do something, you'll probably do it, but you'll build up a resentment and eventually you will be motivated to leave that job. Same uh, scenario here, the constant browbeating of the media, of people like Fauci, of whoever, our, our elected officials, that constant just pressure to take it, take it, take it, is only going to have a natural effect of people to do the exact opposite because they're going to become suspicious. Why are you pushing this so hard? Why are you telling me to take it so hard? And why, after uh, hitting me over the head with this so many times, do you still say, even if I take it, I had to keep my mask on and and uh, not have any contact with the, you know, people, you know, in big groups. I, if we're all vaccinated, who cares? I mean, this has all just been a, a disaster in terms of marketing this and, and what impact it potentially could have for somebody. It's been just more take it because we want to control you. Everything they've done has caused the portion of the population who are not fearful, who were not fearful of this virus to begin with after, I would say not maybe not to begin with, but after more and more data came out and we realized who it affected and what the effects were. And we had to keep those people safe. So for someone that was healthy, they, they had no reason to fear this thing. This causes those people that think, that aren't fearful, that don't just do what the government says or what somebody on TV says, those people who aren't motivated by propaganda, and I say who are rightfully distrustful of anything the government, its bureaucracies, and the media say, it causes them to question how necessary this vaccine really is and to a larger degree, how effective it is. All these mixed messages have been horrible. If your goal is to get everybody to take take this vaccine, your messaging has been horrible. If you are involved in the media or the government or the CDC or whoever else that's been pushing this stupid thing. What is the effect on someone who has antibodies and then takes the vaccine? We don't know. We're just going to push them to take it anyway. Why the secrecy on the side effects? What aren't we being told about the side effects of this vaccine, both short-term and long-term? Well, obviously, we don't know anything about the long-term. We have some inkling, but um, some theories out there, but we don't know for sure. The theories could be very much be valid. Very, uh, you know, it's within anybody's right to to maybe be very cautious with their health, especially if they're healthy. If I'm healthy, what's this thing going to do to me? Is it going to send my health, you know, to the other side of the spectrum here where, you know, now I'm, I'm not as healthy, not as fit, those sorts of things? Wear a mask after taking the vaccine, they said. Well, does the vaccine even work then? You push the mask as, as, kind of the interim step as something that was going to prevent the spread, which it didn't. People saw that. Anyway, the, the, the non-group thinkers saw that. But since the message on the masks were 
wear them, take it. It's preventing the spread. But then you tell them to wear it after the vaccine. It says, does that vaccine, or it causes them to think about the efficacy of that vaccine. Does that vaccine, is that vaccine even going to protect me? Because I know darn well this mask didn't. All of these actions can cause someone to come to the conclusion that the vaccine is ineffective and that these people pushing it have something they are hiding. In my opinion, these bureaucrats and the pharma companies themselves have not, have not made a compelling case based on data and facts to spur people, and I'll say to spur the healthy people, those who have taken care of themselves, taken measures uh, to, to be relatively healthy, eat right, you know, diet, exercise, maybe take vitamin supplements, those sorts of things. They haven't presented anything to say, uh, any compelling arguments to say, take this vaccine for someone that's healthy, in my opinion. The actions to try and promote the COVID vaccine have had the opposite effect of spurring skeptical people into action on taking it. Now, moving on to the, call it the, the, the dividing uh, piece of, of the, the vaccine topic here. So Oregon became the first state to start testing the waters, if you will, on requiring proof of vaccination to be maskless indoors. You have to show your vaccination card or whatever to go inside any building unmasked in Oregon. The whole point of this type of policy is control. And again, it's shaming of those who choose to exercise their right to decide for themselves what is best for their situation. Oregon has become the first state to discriminate against those who choose not to take the vaccine. Now, I hope the ACLU puts their money where their mouth is, or was, I should say, in the op-ed they released in March about vaccine passports being a major concern as it creates two tiers of society, the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Now, as you think about this, and as I think about this, I'm, uh, I thought we weren't supposed to discriminate against anyone for any reason. I thought that was the whole point of uh, diversity and inclusion and, and equity. Uh, it, it, look at it this way. Isn't being unvaccinated, uh, that's, that's diversity, right? Uh, I mean, we're going to use the rules against them. You want to create two tiers of society. You're, you're showing that you're hypocrites because you're discriminating against unvaccinated people. You are robbing the robbing society of diversity and inclusion. I thought we weren't doing that crap anymore. What about equity? I, I this doesn't seem very equitous to me. Sure, you know you think about this equality. We all have the equal chance to take the vaccine. From an equity standpoint, you think about this, do we all, are we all guaranteed an um, equitable outcome? No, because the vaccine's going to affect different people in different ways. And you're going to have people, like I said, that just there's a lot not taking the vaccine. So how do we fix this equity problem? Well, from an equity standpoint, 
I, I say we take the uh, vaccinated vaccinated status of of um, you know someone that's taken their two jabs and we bestow that upon someone who hasn't. That's equity, right? We're doing equity now. That's equity. We're going to take from one and give it to the other. So those that choose not to get the vaccine, we should be taking the vaccinated status of, of someone who did and, and give it to those who don't. So we have that equal outcome. That's what they're after. We need to start using their rules against them. These, hypoc- these hypocritical rules, they, they, they're, eventually they're not going to be able to live with them. So apparently, what Oregon's saying, they're the first ones. They're saying it's okay to discriminate against people that want to think for themselves and do as they see fit for their life. It's okay to discriminate against the dirty, deplorable anti-vaxxers. Equity and, and, and uh, discrimination be damned. Well, we're we're going to do it anyway. That's the message Oregon is sending here. It's okay to discriminate. We'll see how tight the enforcement is on this policy, and we'll see if there's any other counties in Oregon who jump the the ship there and kind of join on and with those that are wanting to become part of Idaho. Is it really ridiculous? Now, the other thing about the vaccine, we're starting to see those calls for the booster shots coming. Now, I don't remember if I posted it somewhere or if it was in a text thread I had with someone, but I said, hold on, just wait. The calls for a booster shot would be coming. Big Pharma has found a cash cow that the market is the entire population. The COVID vaccine can be given to anybody. And because of that, they're going to milk it for all they can. Most of their medicines are for a niche market or targeted to very specific diseases that only affect a certain amount of people. So they don't have a, a wide market necessarily. This COVID, COVID vaccine is different. And that's why they're starting the calls for the booster now. I have a Western Journal piece here I will, I will link in the description box that outlines the premise for the recommended booster. Now, Pfizer CEO Albert Borla says this. He says, he says, the data that I see coming, they are supporting the notion that there will be a need or likely uh, be a need for a booster somewhere between 8 and 12 months. And then the official statement from uh, Pfizer itself had this to say about the need for a booster. Until we see a reduction in SARS-CoV-2 circulation and COVID-19 disease, we think it is likely a third dose, a boost of our vaccine within 12 months after vaccine administration will likely be needed to help provide protection. The company goes on in their statement, we are also prepared to update the vaccine quickly should variants emerge that escape our current vaccine. Well, 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 what does this sound like? Sounds like our old friend, the flu vaccine to me. Notice here that there will be a need for a booster in eight to 12 months. So is this like the boosters of other vaccines people get as a child? 
and then they're good for life then. I have my doubts about that at this point. That statement seems to imply that the efficacy does wear off over time. Same with the flu vaccine. They recommend that one you get every year. This one will turn out to be the same. They're going to recommend that you get COVID vaccines every year. They'll probably start dumping them in with the flu vaccine. Pfizer is also prepared to update the vaccine quickly should variants emerge that escape the current vaccine. Well, what you look in, into this, what, what's the, what does that say? It says they know viruses mutate. Because if viruses didn't mutate, they would die off. So if this coronavirus is going to be sticking around for a while, it's going to have to mutate in order to get around the antibody and vaccine resistance. And when it does, and it will, if it's one of those that doesn't die from uh, mass vaccination, like a, you know, a smallpox or a, um, polio, which we've been able to pretty much eradicate through vaccination, if, if, if it does, if, if this coronavirus continues to mutate and you get these other uh, variants out there, Pfizer will be there with vaccine 2.0 and vaccine 3.0. This is a cash cow for these companies. The market for the product is the entire population versus, like I said before, the small segments that they typically have for their products. Big Pharma will milk this for everything it's worth. And donation-hungry corruptocrats will let them. They'll continue to have their handout for donations in exchange for them to keep beating us over the head to take these, these vaccines. We will get to this point next year, and it'll be more of the same. Time to get your COVID booster to protect against last year's variant or this year's new variant we're seeing. It will become just like the flu vaccine. Okay, on to our last segment for the day. Is it time for the Republican Party to move on from Trump? Are they even ready to move on from Trump? Is there a good reason to move on from Donald Trump as the standard bearer of the Republican Party? I have an article here from The Federalist titled, Dear GOP, Move On From Trump Without Repudiating His Voters by Nathaniel Blake. The piece is interesting and thought-provoking at the very least. Now, as I look at it and observe, it seems to me and uh, probably many of you that as conservatives, I think we all see it in our social media, there's a number of us still stuck in neutral, still holding out hope that Donald Trump will come swooping in again to save us prior to 2024 or even in 2024. I'll ask this, though. Is Trump running again in 2024 really the best thing for the country? There are pros and cons to this for sure. Now, don't mistake what I am saying here. I would be fully on board with Trump running again should he choose to do so. And if he did, I believe that these egomaniac politicians in the Republican Party need to step aside and for the good of the country and their voters, fully aligned behind Donald Trump so we can finally have one unified message going forward. Now, I would also say this uh, about Ron DeSantis as well. 
if he should choose to run for president in 2024. Trump or DeSantis are the only ones that I, I see in the field right now that would make a primary absolutely useless and destructive when it comes to the presidential race in 2024, because you're either going up against Biden or you're going up against Harris. There's not going to be much of a primary on the Democrat side. But looking at this, it's, I, I think it's still worth a worthy question. Is Trump stepping into the ring? Is Trump staying, sticking around as the standard bearer of the Republican Party really the best thing for us as conservatives? Is it the best thing for the Republican Party? Now, one of Blake's points on the GOP moving on from Trump is, and I quote, that while Trump still has influence, he is becoming increasingly irrelevant in the day-to-day -day work of Republican state houses. Well, I could, you could say this about any ex-president, really. How much relevance did a one-term George H.W. Bush have on Republican state houses once he left office? How much relevance do Clinton or Obama have on Democrat state houses? How much relevance did they have on Democrat state houses in the uh, immediate time period after they left office? How about George W. Bush on Republican state houses after his two terms in office? The fact is, ex-presidents have very little impact on the state houses of their respective parties when they leave office. Now, until Obama started running his mouth, ex-presidents tended to ride off into the sunset and not say much as it was. They kind of left politics and went on to lead a little bit quieter life or do things that they wanted to do, like, you know, in the case of Jimmy Carter with Habitat for Humanity. So, as I look at it, this statement from Blake is a bit of a weak argument for moving on from Trump. Just because he doesn't have influence over individual states' legislatures doesn't mean that we, you know, as a Republican Party, he should be moved on from. There's no ex-president that has any major impact on state houses when they leave office. And there's they might not have that much impact on state houses when they're in office. So if career politicians have little influence on state houses once they leave the presidency, why would it be expected that someone who isn't a career politician, that they would have a, a, a lingering and lasting influence on the state house day-to-day uh, -day activities? Now, one thing I think Blake gets right here is that Trump still wields an enormous influence over the populace. I think he still wields an enormous influence over the voters of the Republican Party. And truthfully, the voters that aren't necessarily uh, associated with the Republican Party. I think if, if we're thinking reasonably about this and that influence, the populace over whom that uh, Trump still has influence if they were taking more action, if we were taking more action, instead of sitting back and hoping that Trump rides back in, uh, we would have the influence over the state houses that we want. And that, by proxy, because Trump is getting the message out there, Trump would be influencing those state houses, those state legislatures. So I think what what Trump has is is the influence is that influence piece. 
and we need to take action on that. If if he's saying talk to our legislators, then then we should be talking to our legislators. If we, if we think that someone should be primaried, we should maybe be looking for uh, candidates, good solid candidates to primary the rhinos. That's where the influence comes in. Blake also advocates for the GOP ignoring Trump, as he notes that time and irrelevance may sap affection for Trump more than direct direct attacks ever will. Uh, here's another one that I don't see happening. It, 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 this one goes one of two ways. It, it, it may work. It, it might be viable. Might be a viable strategy for kind of pushing Trump out. Or it may backfire spectacularly. And I would say I am in the backfire spectacularly camp here on this one. And here's why. First, Trump is a showman. If he feels he is being shortchanged on attention, he is going to ratchet up his appearances and rhetoric to 11. He won't let the GOP ignore him. And really, it will be the voters that won't ignore him. The GOP, a lot of those feckless rhinos will try to ignore him. But the people won't. Now, Trump is restarting his rallies. So it's going to be tough to just ignore Donald Trump. The other thing here is that the GOP has been notoriously bad at being in touch with their voters. Now, the thing that comes to mind here is maybe you've seen the video of uh, old Mittens Romney getting booed at, at home in Utah recently as he spoke. I think it was at, uh, it might have been at like a county GOP uh, convention or something there. It, right now, there is not a way to ignore Trump and simultaneously try to capture the attention of the voters in a way that doesn't anger them. There's not a way to simultaneously ignore Trump and still expect that the GOP is going to keep those voters that he brought into the fold. Think about all the different groups of people Trump brought into the Republican Party this last time around over the course of his four years in office and this last election cycle. Think of all the people who have been either interviewed or maybe even who you know that have said they only voted this time around because of Donald Trump. Ignoring him completely and trying to push him out will turn all these people off, in my opinion, because the GOP, as it stands right now, is still weak on the messaging needed to keep those voters in the fold and turning out. Now, getting back to our original question, I think it's still a valid question we should be asking and at least thinking about. Should the GOP move on from Trump as a standard bearer for the party. Now, thinking about it objectively, to throw the feelings out for a second here, it may not be a bad thing to do so if it can be done while keeping all the new voters Trump bought, brought into the Republican Party voting for conservative candidates. Like I said before, I feel at times the conservative movement is using Trump as a crutch. Conservatives have put him on a pedestal as if Donald Trump is the only one that can save the country from the impending doom. No, that is up to you and I as members of this country, as citizens of this country, to take an active role in our government, the government that's for the people, by the people, 
it's up to us to take that action if we truly value what America is and what it can and uh, continue to be. Now, this is like being any part of any sports team, really. Now, on sports teams, uh, football and basketball uh, tend tend to come to mind here because there's a lot of interaction between the 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 players on the field or on the court. With these teams, you have especially the really good ones, you have a leader or a few leaders on that team who seem to be a cut above the rest in terms of their will to fight, their will to win. These are typically your superstars. They're the ones pushing everybody on the team to be better, uh, to push harder, to put the extra work in. But if the rest of the team doesn't do their part and perform their role within that team, and they instead choose to sit and watch their leader try and do it all, no amount of fight in the world on the part of that leader is going to be enough to overcome the obstacle, in this case, the other team. That's the same principle we have here watching Republicans and conservatives and, truthfully, the the uh, populace at large. It seems as if we conservatives are just standing around. And when Trump was office, we were seemingly just standing around watching Trump fight instead of doing our part in terms of contacting our reps and making our voices heard or going out and getting involved in the local politics where it all starts. Now, as time has gone on, more people are getting involved and are starting to realize that it is on them to push the change. It is on them to take control of their government. But I also think that Trump remaining a looming presence over the GOP sets the expectation that he will fight the rhinos and swamp creatures for us, and that at that point we can just sit back and relax and watch again. Now, another reason I see for the GOP to move on from Trump is that it defangs the legacy media buffoons and the Democrats. Now, Trump has laid relatively low uh, since leaving office in terms of his appearances, and and I know he's got his website uh, up now where he's sending out uh, communications every so often. Uh, you know, comparatively speaking, he's he's laid relatively low since leaving office, though. And outlets like CNN and MSNBC have been taking just huge ratings hits since they don't have Trump to kick around anymore. Now, how much more ammo could the GOP take away from them by distancing from Trump and taking and kind of taking him off that pedestal of the standard bearer for the party? How much demo, uh, how much blame for January 6th could Democrats really keep uh pouring on the GOP if the GOP had distance from Trump. The whole January 6th narrative is built on Trump causing it. And now that he's been laying low, laying out of the spotlight for the most part, they don't have him to pin the blame on anymore for January 6th. Now they are the, Dem the Democrats are trying to spin it to make it seem like there were Republican lawmakers complicit in the cause of January 6th. That is what this little commission the Democrats want to put together is partially about. 
this little commission they want to put together 9-11, what they call like a 9-11 style commission or something to, to investigate January 6th. There's not going to be any investigating going on. This commission is, is really just about uh, getting out ahead of things now for the, the 2022 election and trying to hog hand tie the, the conservatives. That, that's what this commission's about. They're not going to do anything other than, um, more partisan politicking and blame gaming. This commission, though, too, is part of it. Like I said, it's trying to figure out who else to blame since Trump is laying somewhat low. The GOP distancing from Trump defangs both groups, the media buffoons and the Democrats in their January 6th narrative because they... The Democrats and their media bootlickers built it on the lie that Trump and Trump alone caused the riot at the Capitol. Now, don't forget, the Democrats even went as far as to try and impeach Donald Trump over it once he left office. They tried to impeach someone who was no longer holding the office of the President of the United States. That's how far the Democrats and the media mediocres were willing to go to try and pin the blame solely on Trump. Now that he's been laying low, it gets harder and harder. And a lot of people have woken up to the fact that as more information has come out that, you know, Democrats and media, you've lied to us about what actually went on there. The GOP distancing itself from Trump We'll send the Democrats scrambling to try and prop up that crumbling narrative of the riots of January 6th, even more than they already are trying to do so. It'll cause them to do a pivot that will make them look like the giant buffoons they are and paint them as the gigantic liars they are. Now, with that said, is the GOP really ready to move on from Trump and stand on its own? as an America first big tent party. I personally don't think the party is there yet. Like I said before, I'd be fully on board with Trump running again. And honestly, I'm on board with Trump remaining the standard bearer of the, the Republican party. The messaging on the uh, part of the GOP is still too inconsistent in terms of trying to retain the new voters Trump has brought into the party. The Republicans seem to be sliding back into its globalist ways at times, within, especially within the establishment, instead of being America first. There's still some house cleaning to be done, and there's still a number of rhinos that need to be removed from the zoo before it can be turned over to new leadership. There's still too many swampers with too much influence that are still roaming around. The person to best put the pressure on the party to finish the house cleaning, to finish the transition to America first is Donald Trump. So while there are legitimate reasons as to why the GOP could, and maybe should, depending on your view, distance itself from Donald Trump, the party as a whole, the movement as a whole, just isn't ready for it yet. We still need the leader of the movement to take it forward just a little bit more. As I view it, the party today, as it stands, is like that cake that you check at the, 
you know, the, the initial time to see if it's done. You stick the toothpick in the middle and it's not quite done yet when you check it. Like that cake, the GOP is still a little gooey in the middle. It needs more time in the oven to set. And the best person to lead that charge and apply the heat is Donald Trump. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. You'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. Also on my site is a link to my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. There's a new sale starting today, 20% off of everything until Friday, May 28th. Also, don't forget to check out the limited edition Memorial Day collection. If I could ask one thing about that Memorial Day collection, please do not use the discount code on those items. All proceeds from that collection will be donated to uh, the A Soldier's Child Foundation. And one last ask, if I could be so humble and to inquire. I'd be so grateful if you subscribe to the show. Please subscribe to the show and leave a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.